Welcome to the Grow My Salon Business podcast, where we focus on the business side of hairdressing. I'm your host, Anthony Whitaker, and I'll be talking to thought leaders in the hairdressing industry, discussing insightful, provocative, and inspiring ideas that matter. So get ready to learn, get ready to be challenged, get ready to be inspired, and most importantly, get ready to grow your salon business. Hello and welcome to today's episode of the Grow My Salon Business Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Whitaker, and it's great to have you here with us today. And I do have a little favor to ask of you, and that is that you rate and review us on the Apple Podcast app. By doing that, it helps other people to find us, and it also motivates us to keep producing great content for you. So all you need to do is go to the Apple Podcast app, search Grow My Salon Business, scroll to the bottom of the page, select ratings and reviews and write us a review and we would be very appreciative. So with that said, let's get on with today's show. Alcohol and drug addiction are a fact of life for many people and in the creative industries, perhaps it's more prevalent and widespread than others. Now, for some people, having a drink two or three times a week does absolutely no harm at all. But for others, it's the beginning of spiraling out of control. Now, my guest on today's podcast is a very good friend of mine, Clive Allwright, who has recently started a podcast that he calls Straight Edge. So in today's podcast, we are going to discuss addiction in all its forms, whether it's alcohol, drugs, gambling, food, sex, or just being addicted to your mobile phone. We're also going to talk about the path to sobriety and helping those around you that have a problem, what to say and do and perhaps what not to say and do, and so much more. So without further ado, welcome to the show, Clive. Thank you, Anthony. It's a, it's an honor and a pleasure to be here. As you know, I'm a great fan of the podcast. So to ask me on to talk about this, which is definitely different to what we usually talk about here, you know, I'm not going not gonna to lie, I'm a little bit nervous, but it's, uh, it's an honor to be here. So thank you very much. No, it's my pleasure to have you on. So let's just start off with a, a brief overview. You have actually uh, been on the podcast before a long time ago. I'm sure you remember it, but uh, a lot of our audience probably haven't listened to it. And uh, it was way back in the beginning of the podcast, so probably about 200 odd episodes ago. So let's just start off with a quick overview for people who don't know who you are. Who is Clive Allwright? Give us your sort of one or two minute backstory. Sure. So um, I'm 54 years of age. I currently live in Sydney, Australia. I've been here for many years. Um, I've got a salon in Sydney in an area called Potts Point, but I've been in the hairdressing industry since I was 16. I was very fortunate to start my career with Tony and Guy when they started off with two salons in London. Um, I worked in the Mayfair salon and I've been in and around education my whole life. I've lived in Hong Kong. I spent many years living in LA uh, and then I ended up in Australia, and uh, I've been uh, I've been very blessed to have a great career that's taken me all around the world and met some incredible people. So uh, education is what I'm very passionate about. But on a day to day basis, I run a salon with a team, with my business partner, and and do what 99% of every other hairdresser does, in, and that's just uh, work with our clients and um, and I do a lot of education as well. So yeah, quite busy, and it's been a been an amazing career. Great. Okay. Now, 
Um, last time we talked a lot about you know your business and your background and and another project that you have, Pillaroo, which we're not going to talk about today. But for anyone who is interested in finding out more about that, then I'll put the I'll put the link to the first episode that we did in the show notes for today, so people can find out more about what you're up to and follow you on uh, social media. But sure. as I said in the intro, today we're going to talk about Straight Edge, which is a podcast that that you've started with um, a partner yours who is Amy Morris um, but I want to just jump straight in and start talking about that uh, why did you start a podcast straight edge and what's it all about it's a great question why did, why did I out myself to the industry that I had struggles with alcohol and drugs um, it's a big big decision to make but what happened is uh, I've, I've been sober now for four and a half years uh, and I got asked to do to be a contributor to an industry magazine here in Australia called Hairbiz. And they said, can you talk about the future of the industry? And what I, what I actually wanted to speak about was um, I'd been sober for a couple of years at this stage. And I said, I think there's a bigger picture that I'd love to talk about. And I wrote an article called coming clean about sobriety. Now it was no secret to the Australian hairdressing industry that, you know, I, I did like to have a drink and uh, live life to the full. And when my life changed, I wrote about a lot of the challenges that I faced and also having that open conversation with people that I just don't drink anymore. Um, and so once the article was published, I got this overwhelming response on social media. And I think it was in excess of 400 private messages after the article had gone out of support and how people had, um, many hairdressers had got family members or staff members that had also suffered with the same thing. And, and Louise May, who was also on the podcast with us, who's the editor in chief of uh, Mocker Group and the Hair Biz magazine said, this is a big conversation. And I think we should you know, if you're comfortable, you can maybe do more with it. So, um, you know, it took a little time to go. It was a slow burn. And then I met Amy, who was one of our clients, who was a producer. And I mentioned to her, uh, we were out one day and I bumped into her and I wasn't drinking. And we had this conversation and she said, Clive, you should do a podcast and talk about this because I think it's quite prevalent in the media industry. It's very prevalent, obviously, in the hairdressing, barbering. Uh, industry as well and I know many people that have suffered um, not just with alcohol and drugs but all different as you mentioned in your intro it's uh, it's been a journey okay now um, I want to just sort of tell our listeners that at, the, at this point in time Straight Edge has probably done only four or five episodes I think I've listened to the first three I know you might have a couple of others that are uh, in the can that haven't been released yet but uh, I highly recommend that if you're listening to this, that you go and check out the first episode, well, that you check out all of them. But if you want to find out about Clive's journey, um, he talks about that in episode one. Episode one is basically Clive's, you know, drug and alcohol addiction, you know, journey. Uh, and I said to Clive at the beginning of this, you know, before we started recording, I didn't just want to repeat his episode because I want you to go and listen to it uh, because it's a great story and it, it's something that I think a lot of hairdressers will connect with and they will relate to. So uh, I'll put a, I'll make sure I put a link in today's show notes for you know a straight edge podcast and start with episode one. Now you mentioned Amy. Amy is your sort of partner in crime on the podcast, from what I gather, and Amy's not a hairdresser but she is in the creative industry um, 
and she's sort of very much involved in the production side as well as your co-host. And I've listened to episode two, and I think I'm right in saying that episode two is basically Amy's story, isn't it? Like of a young woman and her challenges with drugs, alcohol, food, whatever. Um, so, you know, there's so much in there, I think, that if you're in this industry that you will find um, people and stories that you can relate to. I think that your story and Amy's story, it's sort of set out right from the beginning that this isn't just about hair and beauty industry, but it is about the creative industries in general. Is this something about people like us people that are more on the creative side as opposed to the academic side that makes them more inclined to have problems with with addiction with drugs alcohol food whatever i don't want to put words in your mouth but is there anything sure. that, that you think from your research and people you've spoken to that would draw that conclusion sure i mean first of all i need to point out that alcohol um any addiction doesn't have any boundaries either it doesn't matter what background you come from from your family group or whether where you grew up, it doesn't matter how much money or little money you have, addiction is, it, it crosses all boundaries and, and affects so many people's lives. So the thing is that, that I, I can relate to is, is that many hairdressers and barbers, um, a lot of life, if they're like me, we didn't really succeed at school. Uh, academia wasn't really one of our strong points. And so when it came to leaving school, we were, okay, well, what do we do? And, and I was one of those percentage of hairdressers that I never, I never grew up wanting to be a hairdresser. It was just something that I fell into by chance. Um, it's not something that I grew up and thought, right, that's what I want to do. It, it circumstances arose where an opportunity came up for me to work at this amazing salon in, in Mayfair. And I took it, I took that job not knowing what I wanted to do. And I found myself in with a, a creative tribe that f that showed me a side of life that I never knew existed. Like I was very fortunate to work with a big global brand to start off with. And as they grew, I grew. And a lot of the people I worked with were, were rock stars. You know, they were doing lots of education and traveling around and doing things on stage. And it just showed, it, it showed me a side of hairdressing. And I think when you talk to a lot of hairdressers, you know, we're, we're such creative people. And with that, like with artists, um, musicians, a lot of the time that, that involves some kind of substance to, you think it in, enhances your creativity is what I'm trying to say. And it actually doesn't. Um, I know, I now know that, but there's been many a times where I was putting shows together and I'd be drinking and, you know, listening to music and writing down notes and, um, planning bits and pieces and getting all creative and, the next day I'd wake up and it was just a page of scribble, you know, and uh, couldn't couldn't decipher really mm. what I'd written. So there's definitely an underlying thing. And when I spoke to, to Amy, she, you know, and I said, I explained my situation, she said, Clive, it's rife in the media industry. It's rife in any, any industry, the banking industry. And so we've, we've tailored this podcast to reach an audience that I connect with and that Amy connects with and Louise connects with, and that is, you know, the hairdressing barbering media industry where you know it just it is quite prevalent and so we feel like we've got a good message to talk about and you know we're not the poster people of recovery but i think by sharing our stories um they, they say you hear a lot when you're in recovery and the opposite to addiction is connection and when i first got sober I listened to loads of podcasts from, from all over the world. And one of the things that was very 
that was very prevalent in my recovery was when people was telling their stories that mm. was so raw, because I think when you are in it and you don't, and I need to point out, you, you don't have to be on a park bench to be addicted to anything. I mean, I was a high functioning person that ran a business, was married and on the surface, it all looked fantastic, but there was deep down, I wasn't coping and I was using alcohol and drugs to a degree to cope. I got to a point where I just knew, well, I didn't know any different. I just, it was a way that I coped. Um, when I finished work, when I finished a show, when I, whatever happened, I celebrate or commiserate, it involved having a drink. And so when I listened to a lot of podcasts at the beginning, one of the things that really have like impacted me was listening to people's raw stories because I thought I was unique. I, I remember thinking to myself, I can't be ad addicted to alcohol because I can go four or five days without it. You know, I heard these people share their stories and I thought to myself, wow, that's me. Like I didn't think that anyone else had a life like me. And I thought, I'm not like the people you see in the park. I've got a business and I'm you know, hanging on to my marriage at the time. And it was borderline because things had got so out of control. And when I heard people talk on a podcast and share these brutally honest stories, and I was like, wow, I did that. I did that. And that was what I did. I just realized that I had a connection with people. And it's definitely something in our industry that we don't talk about a lot. When we've had 12 clients in a day, or how many clients we do, and we've had a busy day, we've listened to so many people's stories. Some are really incredibly amazing and inspiring, and some of them are terribly tragic. Nine times out of 10, we'll finish work as a group and go, God, let's go next door to the bar, let's have a drink. And that's the way you cope. And so with the pathway that I've been on for the last four and a half years, I thought I need to have this conversation with as many people within the industry as possible. Because as I say in my first episode, if I'd have heard my story when I was 19, maybe my decisions would have been slightly different because I really was mm. on a mouse wheel. It was a merry-go-round and it just, I didn't know how to change. And until things really got to my personal rock bottom and then what's happened since mm. that, since then has been an amazing journey. And I think when you do get to see another side of life, you want to shout it from the rooftops to such. Um, maybe I shout a little bit too much, but yeah. Yeah, I think it's definitely been a, a, a positive thing for, in my life, for my business, for my marriage, and for my personal growth as such, because I was drowning. Mm. Yeah. Well, when you just use the term uh, rock bottom, um, what was your sort of ground zero? Was there a moment? Was there a day? Was there an event where you thought this is this is it? I mean, some people have a a moment. Do you know what I mean? Whether sure. it's they wake up in hospital or they wake up in prison or whatever it is. Was there a moment for you? Yeah. There was many. There was hundreds, um, and they were progressive. Mm. As I said, you know, addiction and recovery is progressive. And I I woke up like most people thousands of times, going, "I'll never drink again." And I've now learned on this journey that, you know, what happens with your mind is, is that it no longer remembers pleasure or pain to a degree. You remember the time, but you don't remember how you felt. So three days later, after I've, you know, recovered from my hangover and someone says, do you want a drink? I would go again. And it would be a sort of two or three days a week where I would be constantly you know, either, or I'd either be thinking about it, doing it or recovering from it. And it just escalated 
slow, you know, slowly throughout my life until 2019, there was a big hairdressing event in Australia called Hair Expo. And I think it was in the last time it was in that format. And we'd launched the Pillaroo site at the time. And we were doing a lot of meeting and greeting with people. And there was a lot of parties on in the evening. And I was just burning it at both ends. I mean, I was really hitting it hard. I was having to, I'm, I'm sure many hairdressers can, can relate to doing a show and doing an awards night and then having to, God forbid, if you win something, you've got to go on the telly the next day or whatever it is. You've got to get out of bed in the morning and go in front and talk to people. Well, mine was sort of five or six days of hitting that really hard. And um, I knew I was in trouble. I, you know, my health had really deteriorated. I'd, I was 113 kilos. My doctor for two years prior had told me, you're in a crossroads in your life. If you don't change your lifestyle, this is going to probably end and end very soon. You know, your, your cirrhosis of the liver, your kidneys are excreting protein. I developed type 2 diabetes. And he said, all of this is lifestyle, Clive. And you need to, or well, not need to, but you should. And I advise you to change. Otherwise, you, you're heading for a heart attack. And it's probably going to be soon. And, and I just put it in the too hard basket. And I thought, I know what I'm doing. I can do this. And then uh, during the course of that event, I went to an event on the Saturday night and I was broken. And it was about eight o'clock at night. And I just was on that revolving door and I felt dreadful. I was sleep deprived. I was sort of shaking with you know, sleep deprivation, anxiety, you name it. And I was at the time under the influence of, you know, cocaine and alcohol. And, um, and someone came up to me at the event and they, they asked me if I was okay. And I said, for, not for the first time, but I admitted it. And I was like, I'm really broken here and I need, I need to stop. And they calmly put their hand on my shoulder and then said, look, if you really want to get, and you're serious, then contact me. And I knew that they were sober. And I kept going until the Tuesday. The awards was on the Monday night and I kept going until the Tuesday morning and I was in such a world of pain, like the anxiety. I had to lock the front door, pull the blinds, which I'd done thousands of times before, but this was, this was to me my rock bottom. And I, I quite often talk about it in recovery that if you, if you're old enough, like, like us to see chariots of fire, I felt like mentally I crossed that finish line with my hands up and I knew that if I didn't change, then I was probably going to die. And that was why it took for me to, to, to ask for help. So that was my rock bottom. But I say there was thousands of those sort of tremors as such, if I could refer to it as before the real earthquake really hit me, you know, and it, and then thankfully I've not had a drink or, or taken any sub illegal substances since. And so I, I see the world very differently now. And I need to add that, you know, within four years, I've reversed the diabetes. My liver is at optimum level. My, you know, I, I, I do a lot of exercise. I do a lot of swimming and, um, you know, I'm down to 82 kilos. And my doctor sat back in the chair and he said, Clive, he said, I don't know what investments you've made in your private life. He said, but you've made the biggest investment in your, in your life, in your health. And he, he said, I only ever see, he said, you're the second person that I've seen in my doctor's surgery that's actually done this. He said, there was another young man who, who was in a very similar state to you, but a lot younger. 
And he said to reverse, I mean, the diabetes will always be there dormant, but it's just, I don't have to worry about that anymore. Do you know what I mean? It's like, I just, I eat healthy. Mm. And that's the thing when you're drinking so much, you, you make bad choices when it comes to food and you, you're too hung over to exercise and everything in your life starts slipping away. And mine had just crept up and mm. crept up and, you know, living in a, in the U S um, you know, and traveling like I did was, I had big, um, you know, I used to eat a lot of rubbish. There's so many great things to eat in America. It was fabulous. <laughs> you know, I'd go to the LAX and yeah, I couldn't go past Cinnabon, you know, without having one on the way in and one on the way out. And, uh, but you know, and then, and then stop at the bar on the way through and then drink on the plane. It was just what I did. And so, yeah, it's, mm. uh, it, it was a, it, my life okay. is very different now. Yeah, uh, I'm not. I'm not being insensitive for anyone who's yep. listening to this, um, because this is what we're here to talk about. But you mentioned alcohol. You also mentioned cocaine. Which was the bigger problem for you? Was it drugs or alcohol? Well, it, it was definitely the alcohol. So the alcohol was just something that I did, um, and I mentioned it on my epi- on on my episode about growing up in the UK. That's where all of the communication happened, where we, as I said, we, we, were, we were celebrating or commiserating. We did it in the pub. I also need to point out as well, in the, in the 80s, when I was working in London, there was no social media. When I worked um, for Tony and Guy, we'd go to the pubs in central London and mm. Sassoon's would be in there. That's where we discussed all, the, all of the, you know, the, the shows that we were doing and all that kind of stuff. So drinking was a big part of it. And then as I started to drink more, then drugs got introduced in the 90s, um, rec- you know, the party drugs to start off with. Uh, and then that sort of ran its course because in the 90s was was pretty hectic with the music, the whole music scene going on and uh, that was at the time the house music thing. And it just progressed into then cocaine be- got introduced because as you got drunk, the cocaine leveled me out. And I could continue to drink and then I could continue to hold a conversation and then I could drink more. I was never, you know, a a user to the point where I would, they call it dry sniffing, where you don't even have an alcohol drink. You just go straight to the cocaine. That was never me. Mine was always, and I was a sesh head. What I used to do was I'd go on the weekends. I'd get to the weekend and I'd think, and I'd say say to myself, oh my God, I've worked really hard. I'm going out to drink. And I would have a drink, but then it became to the point where I couldn't stop. And I would drink when I'd stop at the bottle shop or the liquor store or whatever. And then I would drink when I got home. And yeah, it was, it was a, it was a problem. And then, you know, the drugs leveled the alcohol out. So they were both involved. And, and then you just just going through that whole process of hating yourself. And then you'd wake up the next day and go, I can't believe Mm. I've done it again. And then you'd eat rubbish. And it was this, constant battle that I had and not knowing why I couldn't stop. Um, and then, you know, since I got, I've got sober, I've had to really deconstruct my life and unpack it and find out what was behind it and what made me do it. And, um, or why I didn't stop. I mean, it's a big thing to go out and tell your friends that you don't want to drink anymore. You know, you, you, there's a lot of shame. There's a big stigma yeah, yeah. about that. Yeah. yeah. And I, it, mm. I was thinking about it earlier on when I was, driving back home and I was thinking about coming on this podcast and I was actually got quite nervous because I mean, even though I'm doing my own podcast, you've got such a global audience. And I'm like, I have that massive insecurity of like, 
well, this is going out throughout the whole world. And do I really feel comfortable about doing that? When it reminded me of that same time when I felt like I was going to turn up in the pub and go, I'm not drinking today. I didn't know how to do life without alcohol. Um, I didn't know how to, mm. um, you know, it scared me. I didn't know what, what, what am I going to do for fun? Those of people that hung out with me majority of the time, they would see the fun side of Clive. You know, I'd be buying the drinks, I'd be laughing and mm. joking. You know, there was a definite dark side to that as well when I got home and, you know, everyone would go home and have and go to bed and I'd just keep going. And so, and my wife said mm. to me, I mean, she deserves a medal for putting up with me, but, you know, she said, sitting back and watching you kill yourself is really awful. You know what I mean? It's just, it's it was horrible and it was mm. consistent. And, you know, I'd go for periods of time yeah. and then it'd just keep going. Mm. Um, on your podcast, I know you mentioned the word intervention and you've just spoken about your wife and, you know, the hairdressing industry is a very social industry and, you know, there's, you, you're, you're often not doing this by yourself. And there are other people that are around you that had the opportunity to, and maybe they do. That's what I'm asking you about. Um, interventions. What, what, how does that look? How does that, how did that work for you? Did people try and sit you down and say, Clive, you've got a problem? And how did you respond? Like, what, what's that side of things like for you? Tell us about Good that. Good question. I need to point out there as well that you can't force anyone into to getting sober. It needs to come from within. i uh, actually dealing with um, someone at the moment that, you know, their family have reached out to me knowing what, knowing what I've been through. And they're like, how can we, we help? We're watching this person going to, and they're going to die if they don't stop. And it's that brutal honesty of like, I'm really sorry, but unless they actually reach out and they say they want to stop or they want to get out, you can put them in forcibly put them in Well, you can't actually, but rehab you've actually, if you ring a rehab and say to someone, I've got a friend here that, that I'm really concerned about, I think they're going to die. Most rehabs will say until they pick up the phone and speak to us, then we can't really talk to you because it's got to be their decision. Mm. And that certainly happened with me. Like my friend, I've got a core memory of my friends meeting me one night in the bar and I got there and there was this strange guy that was really ripped and really fit. And uh, I, I thought at first he was you know, coming to beat me up. But they said, um, they said, Clive, sit down. And they said, we've really noticed that your weight is so bad. And, you know, you're drinking all the time. And you're a funny guy. We love you. But we're really concerned that you're going to die. And this guy here is a personal trainer. And, you know, he's off, we're offering to pay for him for you to do some sessions with him because you need, and I just looked at him and I was like, are you having a laugh? Like, I thought we were coming for a good time. Like, and I just went, see you later. Goodbye. And I walked out of there and, and when I look back on that now and that's really awful, you know, it's, it's quite horrible, but there, you know, interventions you can see. And, and I think I talk about this on the podcast. If, you know, there's a series right now on Netflix called painkiller about the, um, the oxycodone in America. And if you think that it's a choice oh, yeah. sometimes, that you know you can see families destroyed you can lose your kids you can lose your family you can lose you can end up just being and yet people are incapable of stopping um they've got to really want to make that change and nothing you can do you can you can mask it for a little while you can take them out of the scenario and that's one of the things i talk about on my 
episode was I used to do these geographicals. I would work for a while in one country and then I go, right, I've got, on the surface, it looked like a great career move. And it was, it was a brilliant career move. I had a great career, but in deep down, it was like, oh, it gives me a chance to clean the slate here. And I can go and do, Mm. I can make a new circle of friends. And yeah, the intervention thing is a tough one because it, it is horrible to sit back and watch a family member or loved one go on that pathway and you're powerless until they actually reach out and ask for your help. And then that process can begin. But a lot of us will say, no, I'm fine. Do you recommend that people try and do that? Or is that a bad idea? No, absolutely. I mean, I think, I think to to instigate an intervention, so better than doing nothing, at least, you know, you've made some attempt to help them. Yeah. Whether they meet you halfway or not, It, it might even just be that you, open the door a little bit, you know, it's a crack in the door for them to at least start considering and reflecting, even though like you did, you just turned and walked out. It maybe started that process of you thinking, actually, maybe I do have a problem. You know, I don't want to admit it, but do you know, do you know where I'm coming from? I do. I do 100%. And when I lived in LA, one of my good friends actually was the first person I knew that went to AA. And, um, he said to me, uh, Clive, I think you should come with me. And I went a couple for a couple of meetings. I think I went for maybe a month. And I now realize that that was 20 years ago. And I thought, mm, now I'm okay. Mm. I've got this. I don't need, this is not for me right now. And, and we're still friends. And he's 20, 25 years sober now. Uh, it took me a long time to stop, like a long time. But I think you, you can show someone love and kindness. Um, and I'm, you know, it's funny because we had a, a drug and alcohol counselor come on that we recorded it this week that's in, in an upcoming episode. And he, he spoke about if you're in a relationship with someone and they have a problem, then you shouldn't enable it. In other words, don't drink around them if they're trying to stop drinking. Don't take drugs around them and um, be, be supportive. Don't put people in that scenario of where they're going to really struggle. And, you know, I've, I've seen and heard there's a lot of braver people than me in recovery that you hear some, you know, horrible stories where the children have pleaded with them to stop and they were still incapable, incapable, I'm saying, of of stopping. So you've got that planting that seed. I think the thing that happened with me, with my friend in the States was he planted a seed for me and I knew it was there and I just was in denial for the next 20 years until um, Mm. I went, I can't do this anymore. I've got, to, I've got to stop. So, Yeah. I've written down something. I just sure. want you to comment sure. on it. Uh, and I wrote down life and soul of the party. Yep. And then I did an arrow and I wrote drinking drugs. And then I did another arrow back to life and soul of the party, meaning mm. that it's this sort of circle. You're a funny right. guy. You're a, yeah. you're a great, you know, entertainer. You're the, the sort of, you know, People like you. People are drawn to you. You've got a good personality. You're larger than life. What comes first? Is it the life and soul of the party that then has to get, you know, drunk and stoned, which reinforces the fact that they're the life and soul of the party? Or is it that you have to get drunk and stoned in order to be the life and soul of the party? I don't know if I've made a hash of that statement or not, but I just want you to comment on that as to how that sort of, you know, one thing reinforces the other. That's a good question because I think, if I'm very honest with you, this whole thing started off way before I even tried alcohol. This was one of those things when I was a child growing up, 
that you wanted to fit mm. in. I was really short when I was growing up. I'm still not that tall now, but you know, growing up in England in the seventies, you just, I had this masking to be around people and it's, it's hysterical. You might even pick up on it. I mean, we've known each other for a long time. Put me in a room with people with an accent and all of a sudden I'll start talking like them. And it's just on a default mechanism because <laughs> I, I just want it. And it's like a, a chameleon because like my business partner's from Rochdale in England. And, she, and if I talk to her and I mean, I talk like that after a while, you know, um, and it's this whole thing about fit, <laughs> this whole thing about fitting in. And when I started going out, there was so many insecurities growing up. And I've always had that, I guess now the modern term for it is imposter syndrome. Those are, I've had an amazing career and like, wow, how did I get here kind of thing? And with that comes an incredible amount of anxiety, like the paralyzing anxiety. I've worked with some incredibly ha talented hairdressers over the years. I mean, going up on stage, um, I used to work with Nick Irwin for years and, and I used to be physically sick before I walked up onto the, onto the stage before a big show. And he used to pep talk me and he'd go, Clive, you know, you're great. Get up there and believe in yourself. And, you know, then I had mentors of mine that we'd have a whiskey before we went on stage to calm the nerves. And, it was the only way I knew to do it. And then afterwards, you'd have that endorphin rush, that's, you know, that serotonin, your brain would be going crazy because, A, I was relieved it was finished. And this is this is an ex example of a, a hair show, but this was on a daily life. And then I'd go to the pub and we'd celebrate and I just would just keep going and keep going because I didn't want that high to end. And then that once I'd experienced that, then that was what I was chasing all the time. It was that adrenaline, that anxiety. You know, when you've got anxiety, what better thing? I hear it all the time in recovery, especially with, with, with women in their thirties. They talk about when they're 14, they, they, the boys on the sea, they've got anxiety. They go to a party, they drink, um, alcohol and, all of a sudden it gives them courage. They can talk to people. They, they, they're the life and soul of the party. There's a pattern that goes on with so many of us in life that you know, all of a sudden you just become the life and soul of the party. You know? But with me, it wasn't for the fact that I wanted to be funny. It was the way that I just managed to get through life because put up, you know, I'm funny anyway, but then put alcohol in me. And then I can get really funny and really stupid and sometimes obnoxious. And I can go, it's like flipping a switch, you know, it's like, which yeah. personality am yeah. I going to be? And sometimes it was, mm. you know, it was challenging. A lot of time it was challenging. Let me ask you this. There'll be a lot of people listening to this that are salon owners. And, uh, and I've been in the situation where you've got staff members who are a lot younger than you. You know, sometimes a lot younger, you know, the 20 year old or even 18, 19. And, uh, you know, you've, you've got a bit of a, you have a responsibility. I mean, you're their yeah. boss, but you're also a human being that is able to connect with them maybe on another level that perhaps their parents or friends can't. Maybe there's a different level of respect, I suppose. So what I'm asking you is that if you're a salon owner and you're listening to this and you know you've got staff members or staff member that has a serious problem with with drugs, alcohol. Um, what should you do, or shouldn't you do? That's a good question because as a salon owner, we're not just 
salon owners are we we are um financial advisors we are therapists to our staff you know we we're constantly everyone's got challenges i believe we've all got some kind of addictiveness in it each one of us has got some kind of a addictive nature as such and whatever it is that you need to do to whether it be sit on the toilet and scroll through your tiktok or whatever it is to take your mind off of stuff we've all got stuff going on um we're all results driven and we're you know in in the salon but there it's interesting because the drug and alcohol counselor that we had on the show he he mentioned about what i said to him what can we do with stuff and he said sit people down have a great conversation before you start i mean i know with with your coaching business with that that communication um we talk about retail we talk about um you know hitting commissions and bits and pieces and i think there's probably a good this is a good time to then talk about people's health and well-being and how are they coping as well with what's going on in your life i you know i remember clearly when doing one of your courses and talking about what happens around the corner if you someone gets sick or you have a car accident and and all these things and i remember listening to it in the course and thinking good god what happens if that happens to me um but there's so many other factors that can come in as well. You can have a staff member that just goes missing for three or four days and then they're too scared to come back and they run and then you realise that they're just in a world of pain. And I think with anything, as I say, again, the opposite to addiction is connection. And if you've got somebody that's understanding of what's going on, when I first got clean and sober... I saw on an industry Facebook page someone talking about how they discovered their 16-year-old apprentice. Talk, she was at a party and she had a bong. And she put a thing on going, I've seen this on Facebook. How should I deal with it? She's obviously taking drugs and or smoking drugs. What should we do? And then I read the comments underneath. And it was really quite awful. It was like, you know, maybe call the police. What you should do is dinner and you should fire her today. You should do this. And I read it and I'm like, what would you do if that was your daughter? How would you tackle it then? Right. How would you approach this? If it was, would you sit her down and say, look, I saw what you did on Facebook. I've seen that you've been smoking marijuana or whatever it may be, but I'm coming from a place of um, kindness and, you know, what you do in your private life is completely up to you. But if you need help with something is a much better way than just go, well, you know, I've discovered this and we're going to take, you know, take you out of the game. Yeah. Um, as you were talking about that, uh, I was thinking about a salon owner that I know who used to think it was a great idea at Christmas time to, to get all the team in a limousine and drive around the city and do lines of Coke in the back of the, in the back of the limousine. Mm -hmm. And obviously, that's just that's just crazy at, at every yeah. level. Because in that yeah. because in that limousine, you've got all your team in there. Like, like I suppose what I'm saying to you is this: what you do as an adult is entirely up to you. But as a salon owner, you have a responsibility, and often you're employing young apprentices, young staff members that are so impressionable that they just want to be like you and they're 17, 18, 19, 20, whatever. And mm. when you demonstrate that as being normal behavior, aspirational behavior, that is 
so irresponsible at every level and and yeah, yeah i mean it, it just it just is it's crazy isn't it i suppose i just want to say that you have a responsibility and as a boss as an employer as a human being you have a responsibility i think to reach out and try and help other people but i also think and you've already touched on this uh, and i remember i said said this in one of my books that i wrote that you have to know when to cut them loose Correct. because you can't save people from themselves. So if, when they're stealing from you, when they're taking product and, and selling it, when they're taking money from the till, whatever it is that they're doing, there's a point yeah. where you try and help people, but there's also a point where you have to, it's like what you said about the intervention, people and, and people ringing up a rehab center. They can't do anything until that person goes, I've got a problem, I need help, and they make that phone call or whatever. So uh, as an employer, I suppose just as a way to finish that, it's like you have a responsibility as a human being to try and help people. So A, set the right example, and B, if you see someone going off the off the tracks, do the right thing and 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 take them out and say, listen, we, we need to have a talk and I can hook you up with someone to, to help you. It's the same with a family member. So if you see someone with a family member, it's a bit like when you, if they take money from the till and all that kind of stuff, you can lead them down the path and go, we're here to help you, but there's a cutoff point, right? And you've got to say, well, I can't help yeah. you anymore. This just enabling you to, to continue using, living in this house yes. or whatever, or drinking, then it's time for you yeah. to leave. And then maybe then that's when yeah. they're going to hit their rock bottom. But you can't, you, yeah. we have a saying, you've got to put your oxygen mask on first before you help someone else. And you've got to make yeah, sure that yeah, you are yeah. really, you know, and so, yeah. I was going to say that you've, and you've sort of come at this already from different angles. And again, it's one of my questions. It isn't really a question. It's a sort of a, I just want to see what you've got to say about this. And it's the role that social media plays. Podcasts are, to whatever degree, part of social media. They're not, they're not the same as Instagram and Facebook and, and whatever, but I'm going to group podcasts as being a component of social media as well. And it's interesting how different generations are so open to um, exposing themselves on social media. <laughs> exposing themselves is probably the wrong word. Different generations are, are open to, um, you know, telling all on social media. And yeah. so, you, interestingly, you said, you know, before you came on today's podcast, you thought, actually, am I really up for doing this? Because I know that, you know, Anthony's got a big audience and they're going to listen to this. Is that really what I want to do? And as I said before we even started recording, you can say what you want or not what you want, and yeah. we can edit out whatever you don't want to say. So I never put anyone under any pressure. But it just yeah. it fascinates me how, like, you, and you've done it again on this podcast. You've bared your soul. You've been very open and honest and transparent. And you've done that even more so on your own podcast, gone into a lot more detail about it. Um, and I, I, I know why you're doing it. Because you, you, I, I hope I'm not putting the words in your mouth. You genuinely want to help other people. That if your experience can serve to help other people, you don't mind embarrassing or whatever the words are yourself by saying, this is who I am and this is what I've done. And I've had other people on the podcast who've done that as well. Um, and so I'm just sort of wondering how much of that is part of the process of recovery. How much yeah, of that is an important step about being open and honest and saying to the people, 
listen, I've done all this. Is that part of recovery? 100%. Embracing the old part of me is is very important. You know, we've all got, we've, especially when you're drinking or whatever, you've all got those things in your past where you, you know, you're not proud of as such. Like drinking was a big thing of mine. And it's easy to ignore that and just go on and just, just go, okay, well, I've changed now. Well, the only way you're going to get change is, is unfortunately to go back and look at, and I, I don't want to use the word like where the bodies are buried as such, but like I've used that as a, the skeletons in the past. Mm. And instead of ignoring that, yeah, 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 that yeah. then, then what I do is I go back and I, and I basically hug them and say, you are all part of this story together. And I can, I, I can't move on unless I'm free from what I, you know, the, the addiction that I had and it was a mindset with me it was the old Clive it was almost like I had to put Clive the the, the life and soul of the party that was really just a very fake person to into being okay well I'm going to be very honest now and I've got I have a lot of gratitude and with that comes acceptance with that becomes a lot of emotion and you know uh, I drowned all those things out with alcohol and emotion can kill people and it's it's a powerful thing and i just i wanted to be to go forward with some self with lots of self-awareness and and realize that there was a pattern that i needed to break and to enable to break that pattern i needed to be very real and transparent there's a thing i mean i'm in a 12-step program for both drugs and alcohol and by doing that the steps of that program i have to go back and and, and make a list of all the things that I've, you know, I've done wrong. And I have to, you know, try and make amends where possible if I don't hurt without hurting someone of, you know, like with my wife, for instance, you know, I need to sit down and say, when I've, when I did this, I'm really sorry. I didn't realize that, you know, well, I, whatever, but you know what I mean? It's the process of going through to make sure that I need to be free of that. And when you're doing that, when, when you're drinking like I was, you're spinning plates on lots of things. And when you stop and you take that anxiety away, you have that, you have that opportunity to really discover who you are and be a better person and, um, you know, and take responsibility and accountability of, of, um, of, um, of your life, really. Mm. What, what's the hardest thing about sobriety? There's lots of hard things, but there's a lot of good things as well. Like there's life is always going to be complicated and life's always going to throw you a curveball. Um, one of the things that I often say to myself, I haven't given anything up. I've got everything back. And, um, mm. there's definitely a thing. I've got a guy coming on the podcast tomorrow. I'm really excited to talk to him about. And, and it came up recently in a conversation and there's a lot of things you've got to learn to do again sober. So, sex is one of them <laughs> you know it's like sober sex so many people are like you know someone mentioned to me the other day i'm just going on the dating scene at the moment and um you know i don't know if i've ever had sex on a date when i've been sober and so the guy i've got talking <laughs> tomorrow <got> is <laughs> you know there's a lot okay. of things out there you've got to do um you know there's a you've really got to um you know, you've got, a, there's lots of firsts, right? So there's your first birthday that you're sober. There's your first Christmas. There's your first Friday. There's all these firsts that you get. You know, you get your first mm. Saturday night where you haven't had a drink and, 
and then with that, like, how do I go to a Christmas party? And this is the thing where a lot of people struggling with addiction, they go, oh, well, I'll, I'll just drink, but I'm going to drink on my birthday. And then I'm gonna, I've got so-and-so's wedding coming up, so I'll have to have a drink then. And understanding when you dig deeper into this addiction pattern, then you go, well, you don't actually need any of that. But, and so, yeah, I mean, it, you hear a lot of good things on various different podcasts. And, you know, one of the things that I loved hearing was, someone said it's sober dave his name he's got a, a podcast out of england and he said if you went to a fish restaurant and you got that ill the next day the way you got from a hangover because you would go i'm never going back there again you know i'm never like that restaurant was terrible and yet within three days you're like oh i'm gonna go back you know it wasn't the food it was the company that i was with and you go back and you get sick again and it's the pattern and that's what you know you've got to learn a whole new way to live and sobriety has given me everything that drugs and alcohol promised me and that's that's a that's the statement that i live by really because i really mm. do do believe that i believe that all of that party time and the drugs and alcohol were giving me everything i i wanted and it took away more than it gave me um you know and mm. i say to, i have to remind myself now i go i've got everything i need not everything i want and that's that's okay because i've now got a clear mind to work with it you know i just i can go right let's mm. focus i mean that's one of the things about doing it being in the 12-step program is is that you do learn a new way to live and you're surrounded by like-minded people because and it's not the only route you can take to do what you want to do there's many different routes that's just the one that i chose but yeah that's what we're doing on the mm. podcast is getting people to come on and tell their story how how much of it, you know, that that inward searching for meaning and who you are and dealing with, you know, your your past. How much of that is a um, a spiritual experience? I very consciously are saying spiritual as opposed to religious. Uh, it can mm. be both, I'm sure, but I'm I'm curious. Yeah. Um, you know, because sometimes I'll talk to people who, who, from what I gather, I don't actually know much about the 12-step program at all. But for some people, they find they find God for them going through that yeah. sort of process. Um, yeah. Other people never talk about it from that religious sort of aspect. So I'm just asking you that. How much of that is it a spiritual experience for you? If that's the right word. Oh, yeah, it's a deep one. It's the big. That's the big thing that scares a lot of people off to stop you know, to get into a program is that G mm. word, right? Um, and it is definitely mm. a higher power. But I need to backtrack a little bit. My mum died suddenly when I was 18, which was a big part of um, me, my struggle with trauma. And I've gone through my whole life as an atheist, going there isn't a God because I don't believe in there's one because at the time when I was 18, my life stopped turning and I just couldn't comprehend that if there was someone up there, then that was pretty cruel. And so I've no, I've not been a religious person at all. However, during my program, during my journey of recovery, I've had to, I've got a definitely got a higher power. I've, I mentioned in my podcast, I do a lot of ocean swimming. I go out there. I put myself in vulnerable situations now for me. And someone, mm. something got me to stop drinking. I didn't, I didn't keep going and die. Something got me to see you know i now look at the rest of my life for it and it's an adventure and i'm going to be honest with you that higher power or 
spirit guide or whatever is something that's really been introduced in my life in in recent times and as i say it's definitely a it's a high power do i get on my knees in the morning and actually do a pray yes i actually do right and i've never admitted that to anyone on this mm. podcast right but i do and i thank mm. my higher power for the fact that i'm still alive i actually talk to my mum in the morning i talk to a few people that i know in this industry that are no longer with us and i'm mm. and i and i actually believe that you know i have got a connection to something now i didn't think those words would ever would have come out of my mouth 5 years ago and there's no way but i do have i believe that there's i i side tracking here My my daughter was on a plane recently. She's 12 years old. She was coming back from Brisbane and my wife we sent her in a company to went to see her friend. The shortened version is is there was such massive high winds in Sydney when we when we were going to pick her up from the airport. It's 9 o'clock on a Saturday night and a lot of the flights were being redirected to Melbourne. We had not paid for my daughter to go on a company. She was just a passenger because she was getting picked up at either end. And then it dawned on us that if the flight gets redirected to Melbourne, she's twelve years old. It's going to be midnight, and what on earth is she going to do? And where is she going to stay? I got to that airport and I went in the bathroom. I didn't tell my wife, and I actually prayed. I said, "Please make this plane come down safely and land in Sydney." And on the way back out, and we were driving. My daughter landed safely. She actually slept through the whole landing throughout the whole line. When she came out, oblivious to the whole thing. I was completely relieved to see her and I was like oh my god he's heard me right and then I got we're in the car and I said to I looked over at my wife and I went I got to tell you something when I was in that airport I actually went in the bathroom and I prayed that this was going to happen because it was the last flight in she was net there was no more flights she was going either back to Brisbane or Mel- mm. Melbourne and my wife looked at me and she said well when you get home make sure you're ringing back and thank him right that's a conversation <laughs> that never- <laughs> That's that's the conversation that would never have happened in my marriage, right? I would have gone, no, no, we're okay. In fact, I would have been waiting at the bar, nervous, drinking, waiting for that plane to land. Mm. And so, there's definitely a part of that in my life that that wasn't there before, yeah. and I'm kind of grateful that it is. Yeah. Yeah, good, good. I, I could, I could go on, um, but I'm not going to go yeah. on. I think that's a really nice place to finish up. Um, where can yeah. people connect with you on Instagram or other social media channels? Uh, tell them the name of your podcast again. I will put all of this in the show notes so people can find it. But uh, over to you. Sure. I mean, it's called Straight Edge the podcast. We have a website um and connect with us on Instagram, Straight Edge the podcast. It's on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. And if anyone's out there that's got a similar story, I mean, if I can add, I remember when I first got sober, I listened to David Bronski and Philip Santos's story, the guys from New Jersey and how they met on when you on on the podcast and they said, "Oh, we met in NA." and I I was only about 8 months to a year clean sober at that time and I was like wow there's other hairdressers out there that are just like me and so if anyone is interested on co- coming on as a guest we'd lo- um, send us a message on on our Instagram at straight edge the podcast is the best way to to get us that will go through to Amy and we'd love to chat to you uh, it's new it's only just you know we're finding our feet it's growing we're getting we're getting some more um intelligent people on the podcast that can explain more about addiction it's a learning curve for me as well of how this all works because yeah. it's it's you know everyone's different so 
yeah, I've certainly been enjoying the journey. I've been learning a lot. Um, I can't thank you enough for getting me on and and as a guest and talking about this, Anthony. It's definitely something that's new to me, and uh, and I but I think it's equally as important. So you know, thank you, mate. Yeah, yeah. No, look, I will put those links on. Uh, our website, growmysalonbusiness.com, uh, and in the show notes for today's uh, podcast. So if you're listening to this podcast with Clive and have enjoyed it, do me a favor, take a screenshot on your phone, share it to your Instagram stories. And it could be a way of, of sending something directly to someone that you think could uh, could do with a little bit of um, help, you know, where they don't argue back and they can just listen to a podcast and share someone else's story. So um, don't forget to subscribe and leave us a rating and review on the Apple Podcast app. And finally, to, to wrap up, Clive, I want to say a huge thank you for your honesty and your your openness and uh, you know and willingness to sort of be vulnerable and and thank share you. your story because uh, I, I know that that will have a impact, a positive impact on people out there. You will never even get to know who they are but you know yeah. it can be a turning point for people and so it's like in some so many ways your honesty and your life for better or worse is sometimes an example and uh, thanks for being a positive example today of your journey and how what's that expression your past does not equal your future so um clive all right thanks yeah. for being on this week's episode of the grow my salon business podcast thank you anthony been a pleasure cheers man. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you'd like to connect with us, you'll find us at growmysalonbusiness.com or on Facebook and Instagram at growmysalonbusiness. And if you enjoyed tuning into our podcast, make sure that you subscribe, like, and share it with your friends. Until next time, this is Anthony Whitaker wishing you continued success.